we've been talking about lemonade and that catchy phrase that says make lemonade out of the lemons that come your way. So how many tried to do that this past week? Did you hear the first message? Yeah, you all think coming your way, some things a little sour. All right, we all got them. So let's add a little bit of sugar and turn those sour moments into lemonade. All right, so now we're going to talk about lemons of offense. Somebody say offense. Not a fence, like to keep the dog in your backyard. Offense, meaning I'm trying to forgive. I can't forgive. I can't let something go. I've been hurt. And I was driving to Lancaster this week for a dentist appointment with my oldest daughter. She's in college. Her name's Cassie. And um, we had like an hour there and an hour back to talk about the offense culture that we live in. She's asking me what I'm preaching, so I'm practicing on her. And she lives in it more than I do. But how many know we live in a culture where everybody is offended all the time? It's like these social media gurus are always offended at each other. Politicians are offended at each other. Celebrities are offended. And we all buy into it week after week. They're calling each other Hitler. They're calling each other black supremacy or black power or white supremacist. You're one or the other. You're anti-Semitic or homophobic. You're insensitive or just rude. Everybody lives to be offended. And get this, some people live to offend. They love it. They like it. I like to trigger you. <laughs> Some of you know people like that. Um, I hate to break it to you, but you probably already know this, that if you're alive and you're part of a church like this, or you have a family that has actually people in it, or you go to work that actually has people that you need to work with, you're going to get offended. And you probably already have. Me too. It says that, in Proverbs 18, 19, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city, meaning it's really hard to get over some stuff, isn't it? It's really hard to come back from it. And there's people right here in this room today um, that, can, that, that have some, somebody said something to you that's hateful and spiteful and mean-spirited and someone's gossiped about you, told something that just simply isn't true. Someone's tried to control you, manipulate you, uh, lie about you, or, may, or, may, or maybe just not include you, and that's offensive as well. And then people right here in this room that I know have suffered through various levels of rejection in their life and things like abandonment, been treated so unfairly and even been cheated on in their marriage or, or been abused in some way, verbally, sexually, physically. Some of you have been robbed and even have loved ones that got murdered. There's a lot of reasons that we get hurt. We get very offended and it's really hard to let it go. Some offenses, come on, are almost unbearable. They really are. I was thinking this week about Joyce Meyer. Some of you know her as um, uh, a preacher. She's a really, uh, she's an international speaker. She's written a lot of books, whether you like her style or her message or not. Um, what's really amazing about her life is that she was sexually abused as a young girl for many, many years. And I, if the story goes right, I think it's over seven years total, um, sexually abused by her own dad. Now, <clears throat> Now, I think about that because she found the grace somehow. As she came to the Lord, she found the love of Jesus. She found the grace to forgive her father. 
and then to love him and saw him come to Jesus to follow Jesus in his old age. And she went one step further. She even said, Dad, you can move in with us and I'll take care of you as you're dying. And she took care of her dying father until he passed away at an old age. And how many know that that's, that's a level of forgiveness and a level of God's grace that some of us haven't yet visited, amen? Including myself. I'm like, whoa. Now I have a question. When I think about stories like hers, and the impact she's making on, on the Christian church today, how can she still be smiling? How, how does she stay sweet? I want you to think about the people sitting next to you right now. Don't, don't look at them. That's just rude. But <laughs> I said think, not look. <laughs> you guys are funny. Um, but that person sitting next to you, the likelihood that they've experienced hurt and offense in their lifetime is 100%. They have. Now, the difference is, some, now you're thinking about the person next to you, and you, some of you are like, oh, yeah, I can see that they've been hurt. You know, don't look at them. Come on, that's just. <laughs> but then the other person sitting next to you, you're wondering, wow, if they've experienced all kinds of hurt, they've been through hell and high water, how are they so sweet? How are they so filled with the love of Jesus? It's not true. Now, I know we experience various levels of hurt. I understand all that. But everybody's had an opportunity to get offended. But some, do, some handle it differently than maybe you and I. Amen? Luke 17, 1 says, And then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, Jesus said, but woe to him through whom they come. He's saying, I'll deal with those people that bring offenses, but he said, offenses will happen. It's just going to be part of the human experience. And you and I just know that, right? Listen to this one in Matthew 24, starting at 10. It's really Jesus talking about the end times. And he says, and then many will be offended. They'll betray one another and will hate one another. And false prophets are going to deceive many and lawlessness and the, the love of many will grow cold and but he who endures to the end will be saved. He's trying to encourage them, though, with this crazy news. But you, you, if you endure to the end, you'll be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the worlds as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And I was thinking this week as I'm getting this message together, like if there's ever a sign of the end times, look at our offended culture. Everybody's ticked off at somebody. Everybody's walking on eggshells, and especially the younger generation, whatever that means to you. I don't know which generation I'm part of half the time, but um, the generation that's alive on the earth today is a generation, and we're very easily offended. I don't know if Jesus is coming back today. I'm not writing a book about it. I'm not predicting the day. I'm just saying, just saying, just so you know, I'm not doing that. But I'm saying, look, look at the signs. I debated all week long what to tell about myself because I could pick a thousand stories of the ways I've been offended, the ways I've been wronged, and so could you. But I thought about this story this week, so I'm going to try to get you laughing so that the medicine goes down easier, all right? I like to do that. But my, my, I was born on February 14th of 1971. Yay, on Valentine's Day. How do you like that? That's why I'm just so full of love. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> but... <laughs> But that, that's pretty cute. The cuteness pretty much wears out pretty quick around that, you know. But, but um, 
because, uh, you know, my, my siblings like to tease me about that a little bit. He, he's just full of love. He's my love child. He's mom and dad's love child, things like that, you know. But, but so that, that, got, that got a little old. But my mom loved to tell the birth story, I think, to everybody that she met. I think she was pretty proud of the fact that she gave birth to me breech, meaning I was born backwards, Nowadays, you know, they probably would just do a C-section. Back then, you know, they, they play with people's lives. <laughs> and she liked to tell this birth story. Well, that gave my siblings even more ammunition. You were born backwards. Now we know what's wrong with you. You're still backwards. You know, so when we're teasing each other and finding a way to offend our siblings, that's what they would use. You know, you're, we, knew, we know what's wrong with you. You're born backwards. And in case any of you are wondering what's wrong with Pastor Vern, he, I have an excuse. What's your excuse? No. <laughs> Amen, somebody. All right. So that started to offend me a little bit when I'm hearing this birth story over and over. I'm, oh, I'm so tired of this, you know. But that wasn't it. It just kept going and building from there. So, so then I hear the story about, you know, beings that was born on Valentine's Day, they wanted to name me something that starts with a V. So then they considered either Virgil, Vernon, or Valentine. The fact that you were considering Valentine. <laughs> I said, I understand if mom is on drugs, they probably gave her something really powerful because she's trying to push out a baby. And I'm looking at my dad and what's your excuse? What were you on? <laughs> if your name is Valentine, I'm sorry. I probably offended you already. But... <laughs> Love you, man. Love you, whoever you are. I like the name Valentina for, for a woman. Actually, it's a beautiful name. But anyway, I didn't want to be called Valentine. But, but, but I didn't, probably wouldn't have bothered me, except it just gave my siblings more ammunition, right? And so my, I asked my dad. I was just a little kid. I'm like, Dad, where would you get, why would you want to name me Valentine? He's like, well, there's this Amish man, and he lives in central Pennsylvania. Dear God, I hope he never hears this message, but God bless him, Lord. You know, he lives in central Pennsylvania. He's just a, a, a really good friend of my dad's. They, the, the, somehow through the farming community, he, he really liked this guy, and his name was Valentine Petersheim. And my dad's like, I want to name my kid, you know, and then Valentine's Day, you know, it just simply fit, and he... He thought that that was probably a good idea. So it was dad. He was thinking that. So anyway, anyway, you hear this enough. You hear this often enough. You just start to get offended. And my little kid heart was so offended by the time, you know, I was even 10, 11, 12, because my siblings would bring it up and they'd call me Valentine, teasing me, stuff like that. One day I got officially offended, though, for real, because it dawned on me that, that see, I'm learning now about birth stories and that she... And he were pregnant, she, of course, my mom, pregnant for nine months and still didn't have a baby name picked out, or at least not a guy's name. And so they're making up this name on a whim. And so how many know that offenses keep circling lies around them? Now, now I'm not just a little ticked off that they were thinking of calling me Valentine and the fact that they risked my life by having me being born backwards and all, all this kind of stuff. Uh, now I'm like really offended because I'm convinced in my little spirit that they didn't want a baby. And that's, that's the lie that I started to believe well into my adulthood, to tell you the truth. And I was a teenager, angry, angry teenager. Now, not just because of that. There's many, many things. But I had a little rebellion. I had a little bit of alcohol in the teenage years. And I was just one ticked off, angry teen. And one day, I just had this shouting match going, I know that you didn't want a son. I know that you didn't even want a third baby. I was the third in line, two sisters and then me. You know, and I was, I'm screaming at them because I'm so, so offended 
and angry because I had added so many lies. The enemy added so many lies to my little offenses in my little kid heart that grew and grew and grew until I was convinced as an adult, even into my adulthood, that my parents hated me. That wasn't true. They weren't, they weren't great at showing love. That part's true, but they didn't hate me. I had, I had added a lot of lies or allowed the enemy to add lies. Offenses don't stay small, people. They turn into, they turn into tumors, and they keep on growing. Now, today we're going to talk about how to, how to get rid of offenses. Can we do that? There's a place in Ezekiel 25:15 where it says the Philistines were, were dealing vengefully with the people of Israel to destroy because of old hatred. How many have some old hatred that you're aware of? Meaning, I don't even know why our family doesn't like that family over there, but it probably started with great-great-grandpa. <laughs> I was raised in a culture like that where I didn't even know why people didn't like the other family or the other generations, whatever, but probably something that he or she did three, four generations back, and it carries on and grows, and lies continue to get attached. Now, I don't have, I'm going to tell you honestly, I don't have, I should because I'm a preacher, but I don't have the best, most theological or satisfactory answer as to why people are allowed to do what they do all the time or why offenses have to be part of the human experience but but I do know this I'm convinced that there's some secrets that God has for us some some principles and some roadmaps that some people have found in order to stay sweet in the light of these sour lemons that we have to that that come our way amen so I want to explore some of those truths today obviously Shall we go there? Obviously, when we're talking about offenses, and you're probably already there in your mind, well, of course, the answer is forgiveness. We have to forgive. We choose to forgive. We allow the Holy Spirit to help us to forgive. And I, I, I know that, and, and a lot of you have heard that inside or outside the church. we got to forgive. And you've heard that story. Even in Matthew 6, 12, it's all part of the Lord's Prayer. And forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's what we're supposed to be doing as Christian believers as followers of Jesus. But I want to talk about why it's so hard to forgive. I want to talk about some of the guards or lies that circle around this whole ability to forgive and prevent us from forgiving well and moving on. It's hard to let it go, isn't it? By the way, let me say this about forgiveness before I dive further. Forgiveness, people, does not mean that you condone anyone's sin against you. You got that? And the act of forgiving simply allows your heart to heal. It's that you can get free from the bitterness that accompanies offenses and unforgiveness. But why is it so hard? Okay? It's not saying, wow, now I have to, like, you know, say that what they did was okay. No. So, so I want to dive into what I believe is almost like a bouncer at the door. I mean, we all know that we need to forgive. But I think if it were like a fine dining establishment, I think there's a bouncer at the door only letting those people in who have a reservation. I call them the bouncers at the door, right, to the, to the club or whatever you're trying to get into. And they prevent you from experiencing what God has for you. This one bouncer, I believe the biggest one, is this word called trust. Lack of trust really is his name. But I want to talk about trust Somebody say trust. I want to circle around this word. It means firm belief in the reliability or truth 
or the ability or strength of someone or something. See, see, when we hold offenses and we just can't forgive, trust is eroded. Our trust in God, especially our trust in people, for sure. Unforgiveness sets in and then roots of bitterness, as the word calls them, begin to settle deep in our souls and they literally affect nearly every area of our lives. And some have been living with traps of offense for many, many years. Now, I want to talk about trust because I think when we don't trust well, then it's really hard to forgive. Are you tracking that so far? So trust in what and trust in who? Let's look at the ingredients of trust, and I want to try to explain this well so that we can clear the air, move aside some of the hindrances so we can walk free. You into that today? All right, all right. Number one, let's go there. Number one is we need to trust that God can heal every hurt, every offense, and every wound. Trust that God can heal. Well, if this person would admit that they did something wrong, if this person would apologize, if this person would say, I'm sorry, it would actually help my heart to heal. Maybe so, but maybe not. That's actually one of the lies that can actually keep you bound for years. You can actually be free and the Lord can heal your heart long before they said, I'm sorry. Kind of like Jesus when he said, I choose to forgive them, hanging on the cross, before you ever said, I'm sorry. (laughs) Ouch, somebody. You can do it. You don't have to wait for them to apologize and you don't have to shut your heart down and say, I don't trust God and I don't trust people because I'm going to get hurt. So you'll get hurt and you'll probably get hurt again. I'm not cursing you today. If it sounds like that, I'm not doing that. I'm just saying it's part of the human experience. But when we trust in God's healing power, we can just live life again. I will get hurt again. Somebody's going to offend me today. The day's not over. (laughs) Probably over lunch, and probably somebody who I love the most in my own family is going to say something annoying, say something hurtful. Somebody in your own business, in your own church. I want to tell you a peculiar, I want to share with you what I call a peculiar Old Testament story. And I want us to get a principle from it today because how many know we're living, of course, we're living in a New Testament era. We're beyond the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. So we live in a new covenant relationship with Jesus. That makes sense? However, the Old Testament's still there for us to get principles from. So let's, let's do that. I want to take you to 2 Samuel 10. And I want to just tell you the story because it's too much to put on the overhead. And I'm going to paraphrase the story. It goes a little bit like this. Uh, King David was ruling Israel. <clears throat> King David, as, as many of you heard about, and um, ruling the land in that day, doing a great job. And there was this king in a neighboring country called King Ammon who died. And this was an ally of David's. This was a country that had been friendly toward them. And they were, they were actually friends. And David said, I can't go, but I'm going to send some ambassadors to pay condolences and pay respects because I liked this king. They were friendly toward us. We would do the same. That's what we actually do in this country. Like, let's just say one of our allies, like the like someone in England, the prime minister of England would pass away. And if President Trump can't go, he will send ambassadors and say, we're sorry for your loss, right? That's what we do still to this day. That's all that King David wanted to accomplish. 
because he said, I'm sorry for your loss. That's all he was trying to do. So he sent some men in his place. And these, these were mighty men. And now the person taking over the throne in, in the land of Ammon was the son um, Hanan. H-A-N-U-N. I think, it's, I think it's pronounced that way. And the men set out just to pay condolences and pay respects for their fallen king. Now somebody starts a little gossiping session. A little bit of rumor starts spreading around as these men come into the city and someone starts, starts to light a little fire and say, we're a little bit of a weak nation right now. Our king has just passed away. We're about to make his son Hanan the king. I think that they sent spies from the land of Israel to spy out our land so that they can make a plan of attack. I think they're coming not to pay respects to us, not to pay condolences or share condolences. I think they're here trying to scope out the land so they can attack us. Now they got to this young king's head and King Hanan says, I think that's probably true. Even though they were allies for years, he said, that's probably true. So instead of welcoming them into the land, they seized them. Now it says this right there in your Bible. It says they seized them and they shamed them. They shaved off half their beard and get this, they cut off their garments so that their buttocks were exposed. How crazy. Some of you are like, I saw that in New York City on Times Square. That isn't so terrible nowadays. <laughs> well, good for you. But, but now, but back then, that was just a way to absolutely offend them on purpose. So even to this day, um, and in certain cultures, especially Middle Eastern cultures, the, the full beard, and even in the Amish culture that some of you are aware of, a full beard is a sign of dignity, it's a sign of honor, it's a sign of respect. And these clans, you know, had their place and authority, and the full beard meant something to them. And if you wanted to, to um, dishonor someone for real... One thing they would do is shave off each other's beard. It was like a crime committed against another person. But they shaved off half their beard just to really annoy them. And then they cut their garments and they sent them away. And they sent them back the way they came in in absolute shame and offense. Some of you are like, I'm good. That's never happened to me. I'm good, Vern. She's But listen to this. I want want to show you 2 Samuel 10.5. Now, when David heard about this. He heard that his men were offended. He sent people out to meet them, and he said, because these men were greatly ashamed, he said, wait at Jericho. Don't come back here. Go to Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return back here. Now, I want to collect a principle from here that I want you to catch today. You catch a little bit of prophetic revelation to apply to your life. The name Jericho means sweet fragrance. And and, and the revelation that I want you to get is like when we're hurt, when we're offended, we need to crawl into the place where Jesus is, into the sweet fragrance and the kindness and the love of God and say, heal me, Lord. So often we don't do that, or at least we don't do it soon enough. We don't turn aside and let God heal our hearts, but we run to our best friends. We gossip about the people that gossiped about us. We, the, the, it, it, it goes deep into our spirits, and then we garner as much pity as possible, and then we plan one pity party after the next so everyone, you're sure that everyone's heard how you were wronged, Right? how I was wronged, and then we posted on social media, things like Twitter. Doesn't the whole country know when our president's offended? 
I can't believe I just said that out loud, but it's true. Like, that's our culture nowadays. That's pretty normal for him and everybody else, but I'm telling you, it's not normal for people that call themselves kingdom believers. Just saying, just saying. Whether you voted for him or not, that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm just talking about something the enemy's doing that should not be part of our culture. And we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that way. We can learn to run to Jesus. We, listen, we stay offended when we don't run to Jericho, which is called the sweet place, the place of sweet fragrance. It's symbolic of spending time with Jesus. Jesus can help us forgive. He can help us lay aside our offenses toward others, and he will heal our hearts if we let him, if we spend enough time there. Your beard will grow back. Some of you ladies are like, I can't believe he just said that to me. How rude. I'm so offended. <laughs> Some of your men are like, oh, great. I'm going to finally grow a beard. That's good. <laughs> now I just offended you. But symbolically, metaphorically, do you hear me? If you spend enough time there, you'll heal. You'll get over it because Jesus heals your heart. We need to trust that God can heal our hearts no matter what the offender does with it okay number two the way that trust is eroded we need to trust that God's vengeance is better than mine we don't use the word vengeance much but there is a vengeance of God it just doesn't belong to you <laughs> Romans 12 17 19 it says repay no one evil for evil have regard for good things in the sight of all men if it's possible as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men that's a great idea isn't it Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Wow, that's in the new covenant? Come on, somebody. For it's written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. It's written, it was actually written in the Old Testament long before it's copied again in the New Testament. Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and recommence, meaning payback. He's talking about his enemies. Their foot shall slip in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things to come hasten upon them. But it's not yours to do. It's actually God's. And we don't think about it because we don't know what to do with it. And then we think about it when we're trying to do something about it instead of letting God do something about it. Now, let me clarify. If there's a, if there's a criminal running loose in, this, in the streets, you know, about to rape and kill and do stuff like that, we absolutely need to take care of that so the, so the hurt doesn't continue. Get them in jail where they belong. And, and, and thank God for the laws of the land. But I'm talking on a heart level, and a spiritual level, Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Now back, back to my peculiar story from the Old Testament from Samuel. It says, it says this. It, eventually David realized that this, this country of, of Ammon were no longer allies. They were now enemies. And a few battles ensued. But eventually David said, I'm done with this. These people, these people are evil. And he sent an army. When David sends an army, look out. Come on, you read some of these stories. He killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen. 40,000. Now listen, I want you to hear the revelation. I know we're not living in this era. The men who were wronged, put to shame by having their garments cut and their beards shaved, the offended people hung out in Jericho and did absolutely nothing but stayed in the place of fragrance. 
while their king annihilated their enemies on their behalf. I, I want to learn to do this. And I want to learn to trust God that he knows better than I do when it comes to payback or vengeance or rebuttal. We don't always know what God's vengeance looks like, but we need to trust him. It could look like, come on somebody, it could look a little bit like Saul of Tarsus, who was a Christian killer, and then God said, I'm done with this man, but instead of killing him or opening the earth to swallow him, he apprehends him on the road, and he says, I'm going to turn this man into the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, which we're still reading his letters today. I just read his letters in Romans. That could be what God's vengeance looks like but you don't know. God's a better parent than you are. I often tell God, I actually pray, God, these are your kids, <laughs> and you know how to parent them better than I do. I'm talking about you and them. <laughs> Amen, somebody? God's vengeance could look a little bit like Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the Holy Spirit, when they lied to the apostles about how much they were given and, you know, a motive of the heart and all that stuff, and suddenly they were struck dead. That's another peculiar story in the New Testament. But that could look like God's vengeance. It could look like David's wife, one, one of David's wives, when, when she saw him dancing before the Ark of the Covenant when it was being brought back to Israel in that day, she looked out and she saw her husband, David. He had taken his kingly garment off. It probably weighed a few hundred pounds with all those jewels hanging on and all those furs. I don't actually know what it looked like, but it says he took his kingly garment off and it, it, it implies that he was dancing in his linen undergarments because he wanted to dance before the Lord freely and he couldn't do it so well with his big heavy robe on. And she looked at him dancing into the city like this, and she got offended because it embarrassed her. What is my husband trying to do? What a fool. And the word says she despised him in her heart. But get this, get this. It says right there in 2 Samuel, therefore, Michelle, or however you want to pronounce her name, Michael, the daughter of Saul, which was David's wife, had no children to the day of her death. Not because David retaliated on her. He didn't do a thing. But maybe she just reaped something in her spirit and in her body that prevented her from having children. Offenses, offenses affect us in many different ways. There's a place in Revelation 6. I just want to nail this home. The martyrs in Revelation 6, the martyrs are crying out with a loud voice. Those that were actually killed for their faith... It says they're crying out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Some of you are starting to groan like, oh, wow, that's heavy, dude. I know. But the reason, the reason I'm bringing this out is that, is that I want you to think about God is, is, is all about doing what he thinks is best. He calls that vengeance. He, he knows the person's heart. He knows the person's motive. He knows what that person needs. He'll, he'll cause some people to follow him. He'll cause some people to repent and they become a new person. He'll cause some people to be removed from the face of the earth. And God is a God of judgment. God's a God of justice and he's a God of vengeance. It just doesn't look like what you and I might do. And that's where we need to let it go and let God. You know better. Can we say, God, you know better? 
sometimes vengeance is just a little bit of reaping what they sowed. I mean, I, you know, God goes, okay, you want to be that way? Then don't be surprised when it comes around to get you. I had a boss um, a while back that, um, that was okay with lying. He was, he, he was okay if I told a customer a half-truth or a complete fabricated story. And he told me one day, came to, he's like, I want you to tell this customer this, 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 and this. Because he wanted to, my boss wanted me to just change the schedule around so that we please one customer ahead of the other. Because he had promised something on the phone. He didn't want to look bad. But, you know, then I would have had to make another customer look bad, if that makes any sense. And he wants to tell him this. Tell him this happened. Tell him that happened. We can't get his order out today. And I'm like, well, that's just a complete lie. And so I, I fabricated some half-truth, and I still felt guilty because it just wasn't the whole truth. And I didn't tell him exactly what my boss wanted me to tell him, but I'm like, what? It's hard to feel. I told him one day it's hard to feel ethical working for you, and that didn't go over so good at all. But uh, <laughs> what I found out even weeks later and even, even months later is that my boss had a son that I hadn't really heard about at first, but this son, his main thing Get this, you, you already guessed it. He was prone to lie. <laughs> Full of lies, lies and deceit, lying to his parents all the time. You know, it got so bad and he, he committed a few crimes and I eventually ended up in jail. Um, but, but I was just sitting there going, oh, wow. And you're surprised that your son is, um, number one, a, a, a total liar when you're okay with lying. You know, you reap what you sow and that's still true today. Old Testament, New Testament, you sow things like that. Then we get surprised when we, when, we reap things like that. But sometimes you have to just let go and say, God will bring it. God will bring it around. God will bring it around. Amen, somebody? Okay. Okay, number three, trust that God's plan for your life is not thwarted. We don't use that word a lot, but it's taken from Job 42.2. I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. It means uh, thwarted means opposed or prevented. See, see, when we get offended, when we get hurt, we get damaged in some way, there's a lie that comes along with that. I can't forgive. I have a hard time forgiving because my life is, uh, excuse me, my life is ruined. I can't, I, now I can't complete the purpose and the plan that God has for me, maybe because all these people gossiped about me, they're believing in untruth, and now my reputation is ruined, and it's, and it's their fault, and I can't trust that God will bring about his purposes in my life because other people damaged God's plan. It's a lie. It's a total 100% lie. Isaiah 54, 17, I love to pray this over my family all the time. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. I like that verse, don't you? I like, to, I like to remind people the story of Joseph because I know we just talked about it recently, and I'm going to paraphrase the story for the sake of time. But you remember Joseph, another Old Testament story, one of my favorites. His brothers were jealous of him because of the favor of God and the favoritism shown to Joseph by their dad by his dad, and he made him a coat of many colors and all that kind of, and they were jealous of the dreams he was having and where God was taking him, things like that. They, they, they decided to sell him into slavery in the land of Egypt. They treated him so horribly and so, so rudely because of their jealousy and hatred for him. He was sold into, uh, sold into Egypt as a slave. While he was working there, he was, uh, he was falsely accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife. 
also another untruth. Now he's thrown in jail, right? Um, if I were him, I'd be so offended, you know, and so hurt. And I'm sure that he was. Offenses shall come, right? While he was in jail, he interprets some dreams. Long story short, he eventually interprets dreams for King Pharaoh. They bring him out of prison after many, many years uh, of being in there. Um, it keeps saying God was with him and God prospered him and God was with Joseph. And he finally was brought before Pharaoh and ended up interpreting dreams for Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh said, I'm going to make him second in command of all of Egypt because there was the, a lot of the dreams had to do with a famine coming on the land, and Joseph was the man that God, had, God was raising up to take this country through the famine, to store grain, to store food. He not only then saved the lives of that entire nation, but also the lives of his own family eventually, as you might have heard the story. So, so get this, though. Years later now, Jake, uh, Joseph's father passed away. He's old, and he, and, he's, and he died. Now the brothers that had been so mean to him started to get a little worried. It says they started to fear him a little bit because they were wondering if Joseph was still holding a little bit of offense. Has Joseph really forgiven us for being so rude to him and selling him into slavery the way that we did? I'm not so sure that Joseph won't get his revenge now, especially that dad's out of the way. I, they, they were afraid that he was still holding a grudge. And so they, they, they asked for a meeting with, with, with the, the, uh, the ruler Joseph again. And they even, these brothers were, were crazy. I mean, they, they concocted another little story that actually said, before your father died, Joseph, he told us to come and beg you to forgive us again. You know, he didn't really say that, but that's what they're, you know, they just keep concocting these stories because they were living in fear. And this is, this is Joseph's heart now. Now, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. In Genesis 50, starting at 19, Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid, for, I'm in the place of, for am I in the place of God? Can I think the way God thinks? Can I do what God does? I'm not God. That's a revelation right there. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Somebody say, but God. He meant it for good. God can bring good out of a crazy circumstance like that. He can bring good in your life. And he goes on to say, in order to bring it about as it is that day to save many people's lives, because that's exactly what he did. Now, therefore, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them because he saw God's plan and he was, no, he was able to forgive, get this, because he trusted now that God had a plan that wasn't thwarted and was way higher than his own. And that's when we stop trusting and that's when we hold on to forgiveness because we're so convinced that other people can ruin God's plan as if they're big enough. <laughs> the, the, the idea that someone else can mess up God <laughs> is a little odd theology, isn't it? but I've been there. You, you, you can believe those lies. How many know this? I wanna, before I finish, I want to say this. Forgiveness, especially when you look at Joseph's story, is a supernatural work of grace. It's something that you have to allow God to do within you as we trust in him. We need to trust that God can heal us no matter what the offender does from here on out. No matter what happens to us, 
no matter if it's a large thing, a small thing, God can heal you. As much as he can heal a headache, we've, we've heard of God healing cancer, we've heard of God healing insomnia, we've heard of God healing all kinds of things. He can heal your broken heart. He can heal your hurt. And he does, and he will. Amen? We need to trust that God's vengeance belongs to him and that he is a better parent than you are. <laughs> he knows what that person needs. The offender he knows what the offended need. He knows that you need to sweep place. You need to come back and let your beard grow back and spend some time in the presence of God. But he knows what the offender needs. And he can deal justly with them. It's okay. There's for years I didn't really understand that. But now I actually include prayers for justice and vengeance in my prayers. So don't offend me. No, I'm just, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm, I'm probably guilty of offending you. And you're allowed to pray that because I know that God's a just God. He will deal with us righteously. He is the righteous judge. He knows how to take care of us. He knows how to keep us on the path. Amen. And then we need to trust that God's plans can't be thwarted. If God wants something done, how many know God can get it done? Yeah, but I've been too hurt. I've just been so wounded. I think that I'm damaged goods. Well, God's able to heal you and bring you forward. And in spite of hell and high water, God can bring his plans and purposes to come to pass in your life and use you to do it, use you to build the kingdom no matter what happened to you and no matter what's going to happen to you later today or tomorrow. God will heal you. All right, people. All right, friends. I want you to stand with me. Trust you now, Lord, that everything thrown against us by the enemy. Right now we recognize that we wrestle not only against flesh and blood, not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Our enemy, Satan, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, we trust you, Lord, that you're greater than that today. We place our trust in you that you can heal us. You can help us move forward. You can help us drop these offenses and every bit of unforgiveness that I'm carrying. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. Take the offense. Lord, I give you my unforgiveness. Let's all pray together. Can we do this? Say, Jesus, I repent of all my sin, including offense and unforgiveness. I declare you are Lord of my life and I trust you. I trust in your salvation. I trust you to heal my heart, to deal with my enemies and to bring your plans to fruition. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to follow Jesus, to live in truth, and to live in wisdom. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen. Amen. Hey, listen, if you're here today and you prayed that prayer and you put your trust in Jesus for the first time, that's I included a prayer of salvation right in that prayer. And if you said, this is the first time I'm trusting in Jesus for my life and making him Lord, I want you to quickly shoot your hand up in the air so I can see you, recognize you. Amen. All right. Amen. 
Anybody else? I'm not going to make you come down here for any special prayer group or anything like that. We just want to recognize you. And, and we like to welcome you into the family of God. Let's do that right now. So good. Amen.